There is not a square inch in the world domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Who is the best boss that you've ever had? You think about your life. If you're like me, you've had a number of bosses. You've had people over you, some of them. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them you liked, some of them you could manipulate. I had a boss when I was in college that I still consider the best boss I've ever had. I was the chicken fryer in the kitchen of a Chick-fil-A. And at that point, a Chick-fil-A owner could only own one store. And so this was in Hickson, Tennessee, a suburb of Chattanooga. Three days a week, I would go and fry chicken. I found out later that was the worst job in the place, but because of this boss, I ended up loving and finding value in it, and I still look back on that, that boss whose name escapes me, although I could probably find out. One of the, the pivotal moments in his leadership in my life is that he actually he knew me, he identified with me, he like coached me, but, but what really stood out was one year on Black Friday, this Chick-fil-A was in front of a Target and a, mall, and a mall, or just down from an indoor mall. There was a Target and a bunch of other stores. So you can imagine what it was going to be like on Black Friday. Everybody's going to be coming through to get their chicken, their breakfast chicken sandwiches. And so he said, Joe, I need you to be here at 5 a.m. And I showed up at 5 a.m. And I was like, this is going to be a long day. We're going to be frying a lot of chicken. And what I discovered is he said, Joe, you take this spot right here. And I'm going to work here right beside you. And we worked side by side through the busiest day of the year next to the fryers where it's smelly and it's hot and I wouldn't even take my clothes inside the house because they stunk so bad at the end of the shift. But this owner-operator who was worth so much money, made so much money from what he did, he actually came down next to me, worked the fryers next to me and said, we can do this together. And so Black Friday that I was dreading that could have been so bad ended up being this day where it went really smoothly. I thought it was because I was a good teammate, but I'm, now that I'm older, now I understand he actually was the good teammate in the middle of all that. And so when I think of a good boss, when I think of a good leader, I think about him. I've had those leaders that have known they could manipulate me, that if they get me angry enough, I'll, get, I'll do anything, and I'll run through a brick wall to make it happen. I've had, I've had bosses belittle and chew me out. I've had them make fun of me and try to motivate with shame and guilt. Maybe you've had leaders like that. And so when we come to a series like the one we're in right now, called Supreme, Every Square Inch, Jesus is Overall, some of us have in our mind different kinds of leaders, different kinds of bosses that we've seen that use it for their own advantage, that, that put us in their grips and manipulate and belittle and put us down. So we come to a series like this, and honestly, we come to a passage like we're going to look at today in Colossians chapter 1. It's like, what, what kind of supreme is Jesus going to be? What kind of leader is Jesus going to be if he is supreme over every square inch? What is, what is this leader like? And what does that mean for me? Because I don't know if I, about you, but I, I can sometimes just think leader, supreme, somebody who's over me, they do not, it doesn't really relate to me. How does this apply to little old me in little old Belgium in 2020? What I want you to do is I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 
chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't or your hands are full, the verses are going to be on the screen. There are also Bibles in the seat row in front of you. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. God, as we hear these famous words, this famous hymn from the Bible, help us to know what it means for you to be supreme and how you call us to trust you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians was a a letter to a church that Paul may or may never have visited, but he was writing a series of letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and sending them along, and he sends one to the Colossians, and last week we saw that he said that what What true Christian growth looks like is God growing his people. God doing a work so that they bear fruit and and they bear fruit in thanksgiving. And then he turns here to what's called this hymn. It's one of the more famous passages in in, uh, Paul's writing. And verses 15 through 20 gets laid out in this, this poem, this song that they may have been singing. And he's pointing them and saying, you can trust Jesus because his supremacy is your advantage. It is a call to you and I. We can, can we trust him? Can we trust Jesus because his supremacy is our advantage? And what I want to show you here is four reasons that we can trust him here in this. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that we can trust the Lord over all. We can trust the Lord over all. As as Paul is finishing his prayer and saying, I want you to be thankful because he has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Then he turns and says, that son is the, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created that have been created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul is turning our attention and saying, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus is the Lord who is over all. He says he is the image of the invisible God. God who cannot be seen, this is what he looks like. This is what his character is like. This is how he treats people. This is how he welcomes the broken and the limping and the hurting. This is how he heals those that have no hope and nowhere else to go. This is the one who rebukes the self-righteous who say they have it all together, they know the full story. Jesus is the one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You may go, does that mean that Jesus was created? This is, this is a word used throughout the Old Testament for he, that Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is the one who is supreme, not firstborn in time. Jesus is the one who is supreme over all, who will inherit all of creation. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Then he begins walking through a list. 
He begins walking through a list. Things in heaven and things on earth. The things that we can see, the visible, and the things that are invisible. Whether powers, thrones, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so what Paul is drawing our attention to right here is we can trust Jesus because Jesus is the Lord who is over all. He's drawing our attention back to Genesis 1 and says Genesis 1 is a story that Jesus wrote. Genesis 1 is Jesus' story. I think that Genesis 1, and by extension now Colossians 1, 15 through 20, are are passages we don't take seriously enough so that we can begin to divide our lives into the spiritual and the real. We can begin to divide our lives into, well, well, this is what I do with church. This is what I have to do with my religion. This is what I do with my spirituality. But I, that, that's not really this world. That's not this body. That's not the things that I'm dealing with day after day. And Paul says, no, you can trust Jesus because those things are his. He made them. He controls them. Jesus is the Lord over all. I can't help but think as I read these of great leaders and to an extent, you might even say great spiritual leaders that our culture points to and says, oh, this, this man was a great, a great spiritual man. This is because of his integrity or because of her integrity or because of their compassion. And I think of comparisons that people make and they put Jesus in a list. It's like Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa and Gandhi. And they just like make this list and Jesus is always in it. And Paul is like, no, Martin Luther King Jr. did not make the world. Gandhi didn't make the world. Mother Teresa didn't make the world. Jesus is the Lord who is over all. He made everything that exists. And so will you trust him? Because he owns it and he controls it and he is, he is, he is directing it towards its end. And because he is the firstborn who will one day inherit it, that means that everything that's happening in your life, all the junk and all the messed up stuff, all the things that you want to change and that you want to be different, he is actually Lord of all of those things and will inherit it. Will you trust him? So will we begin to trust him with this world, with this body? Will we begin to trust him with these houses and these bills and these jobs and these relationships? Will we begin to trust him with these politics? Because he's Lord over all and he made them. Will we, can we trust him? The, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. And in, The second way that this passage calls us to trust Jesus, is to trust Jesus who holds all things together. Verse 17, the way this poem is laid out is verse 15, verse 17, verse 18a, and then 18b. Each have this like heading. He is, he is, he is. And verse 17 says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So when we look in the scope of history, nothing happened before Jesus was. Jesus is the one who is in control and directing all things. Jesus is supreme over all things. And then this great comforting verse, verse 17, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Supremacy in Jesus looks like nothing is outside of my control and my hands. No situation that we're facing is outside of his control in his hands. Nothing, nothing that, that seems like it's going to spin out of control if I don't worry about it a little bit more, if I don't control it a little bit more, if I don't spend a little bit more money on it. 
This passage says, trust the Lord who holds all things together. Trust him. Can you trust that he will hold all things together and rest in that kind of supremacy? Can you, can you trust that he is going to continue holding all of these things? One of my favorite scientific concepts is a term, a concept called dark matter. They've made science fiction movies for a long time about dark matter, but I heard an interview with a scientist recently, well, probably a year ago, and uh, the interviewer said, can you, you're a researcher who researches dark matter. Can you help us understand what it is? And he said, okay, let me put this in layman's terms. He said, when we look at the scientific laws of the universe, everything looks like it should be expanding and spinning bigger and bigger and going out and going out. And all of the laws that we understand seem to reflect this idea that the universe should be spinning out of control and expanding so rapidly that the universe comes apart. And he said, so, we, but, so when we look at the world, it looks like there's something invisible holding it together. And that's what we call dark matter. Because we don't know why the world is not spinning out of control. Something must be holding things in place. And we just don't have a concept for it. Because that's science, there could be a some discovery this week where they begin to describe it a little bit differently. But that idea that when we look at the world, something's holding it together. Something is keeping it from spinning out of control. Something is keeping my life from going in the ditch, me going over the cliff. This passage says Jesus is holding everything together. Jesus is holding everything together together. He's not going to lose control. He's not going to lose control of your situation. He's not going to lose control of your life. He's not going to lose control of your kids. He's not going to lose control of your hopes and your dreams. Jesus is holding all things together. He's not going to drop the ball. You can trust him because he's holding all things together. The third reason that we can trust Jesus, who uses his supremacy for our, our advantage, is we can trust the head of the church. Verse 18, beginning of verse 18, says, And he is the head of the body, the church. This is an idea that he's going to pick up, in, that he picks up in a different letter that he wrote at the same time, in Ephesians chapter 4, as he talks about relationships in the church, and gifts in the church, and purposes for the church. He says, Jesus is the head of the church. Everything comes under him and come, becomes useful under him and he is shepherding and he is stewarding and he is directing and he is building. And so can we trust him as the head of the church? Jesus is supreme over the church, not just the world, not just holding it together, but also, also intimately the relationships on, in one level of the local church, but also in the church for all time, standing before him at the end of history. He is directing the church throughout history towards its end. And so will we trust him? Will we trust the head of the church and say, you know what's best? You know exactly what's happening. You're taking it down your path for your purposes. We can trust you. So will we trust his direction is good? Will we trust that the difficult things that we face in, in, in the body of Christ are, are still under his direction? Are we going to, tr to trust that he is the goal and that we, we and his church are under his care? And the third way, the third reason that we, we can trust him is that we can trust him because he is the firstborn from the dead. 
verse 18. The end of verse 18 says, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What Paul does is he takes our attention. He is the Lord of all creation who is controlling and directing all things for its purposes. He is the head of the church that is building a kingdom of priests who will one day gaze on the glory of the Lord forever. And then he says, and he is the firstborn from among the dead. So that death is not the end for you. He is the firstborn from among the dead so that those who trust and follow him can know that we will have resurrection bodies like his. That we one day will go and gaze and see him. This verse is 18. And 19 becomes symmetrical with, verse, with verses 15 through 17. Because what he wants to say is the Lord of all creation is the Lord of a new creation and that you are invited into. Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the Lord of the new creation with a promise of resurrection for you and I, with a promise of peace with God for you and I. Because even though the fullness of God dwelled in him, he did not use that for his advantage, but used it for ours. And that's not something that we ever see in the world. That's not what we, we look at leaders and we look at people that are, that are out ahead, that are out front, that use everything for their own advantage, that they manipulate and cajole and trick and lie and cheat to get us to do the things that they want to do. But Jesus, who is supreme over all creation, over every square inch, uses his supremacy for our advantage. Jesus makes peace with God through his blood shed on the cross doesn't leave it up to us to earn our way to God, but he gives us himself. If we didn't have this, then what we would have is a creator and a king that we would always be afraid of. We would have somebody who is supreme over all, that we would always be afraid that he's got an ulterior motive, that there's another shoe that's going to drop, that he's going to find out a little bit more information. And instead we find here, as one writer puts it, is what we find is that our creator is a crucified creator. And so we can trust his heart. We can trust his heart even though we don't understand what it means for him to hold this thing together. This mess that I'm living with together. It's, I don't really understand how Jesus can be Lord of all creation when I look at the world and I see suffering. I don't understand how Jesus is directing the church to its glorious ends right now. But this passage says we can trust his heart. We can trust his heart because he gives us himself. We can trust his heart because his blood was shed for you and for me. Ultimately, this, this, this whole passage, trust the Lord who is over all. Trust the Lord who holds all things together. Trust the head of the church. Trust the firstborn from the, from the dead. Has to give himself for us. Because we will not bow before the Lord of creation. We will not bow before the Lord who holds all things together. We will not bow and follow the head of our church, the church. And we say, well, we can somehow give ourselves a, a resurrection on our own merits. And so this passage points us to this and says that Jesus dies in our place, lives the life that we should live before God, dies the death that we should die, so that we can be welcomed in 
so that we're not constantly fighting to trust God enough so that we can somehow please him with some sacrifice that we can give. Instead, we can rest that Jesus has used his supremacy for our, exam- for our advantage, and that is final. And so if you are here today, whether you're new or you've been attending a long time, whether you're old or whether you're young, this passage requires, will we actually come to this Jesus Will we actually trust this supreme Jesus? Will we actually come and humble ourselves before him? The Bible calls that repentance and faith. Repentance and turning away from our own way, our own advantage, our own own kingdoms. And trusting that Jesus, who is Lord over all, the Lord of the new creation, is one day going to raise us to be with him. And then it will be worth it. So if you have questions about that day, please do not delay. Please today... Come and talk to me. Come and talk to a leader that you trust here and say, I actually want to know for sure that God is pleased with me in Jesus Christ. I want to trust this Jesus who has used every advantage he has for me. Then we can begin to imagine what that looks like. uh, What that looks like. What changes for us as we begin to live lives in light of this kind of supreme Jesus. We live in a world that is alone and it is distrustful and it is cynical. But when we begin to take this to our hearts, instead of being alone and distrustful and cynical and used, we can begin to say, no, we're not alone. We actually have a supreme Jesus who is going before us and bending everything that he has for us, giving us his very best. And so we have no cause to be cynical. We don't have to distrust his heart. We just have to trust, and to walk with him. What we find in this passage is that Jesus, who is supreme over every square inch of creation, uses it for us, and so we can trust him day by day, moment by moment, with our families and with our kids and with our jobs and with our church and with our politics and with our history. We can trust him. Let's pray. God, as we hear your word, Help us to trust you. I, among all people, know how hard it is to bend my heart to trust that you know what you're doing. And so I thank you that Jesus made peace. Jesus is the one who trusted on my behalf and that trusts on behalf of everyone who is here. In Jesus' name, amen.